Welcome back to the Retail Maverick Show Uncut with me, Andrew Busby, your host. And I'm delighted to say that for this episode, uh, we've managed to uh, persuade uh, the founder and CEO of AuraVision, Daniel Martino Corbishley, to come along. Daniel, welcome. Thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah, no, no, uh, there wasn't much persuasion uh, required. <laughs> Very excited to, to be here chatting to you today. Uh, my latest, my latest victim, as as we like to call our guests. <laughs> um, we're going to get into a number of things around what you guys do. I know, and, and talk about um, uh, facial recognition, AI, and so on and so forth. So I'm really looking forward to that. But before we get into it, perhaps just uh, introduce yourself and also um, AuraVision. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm Dan. I'm, I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of AuraVision. Uh, so we started the business during our time at, at uni, during our PhDs, actually in AI and computer vision. We got very excited about technology and we, we applied it to, to retail. Basically what, what AuraVision does is we help large enterprise retailers that you know have hundreds or thousands of stores really to increase revenue from their physical footprint and their operational efficiency. So we basically go in and we'll tell retailers kind of the, the leading question they have, which is, you know, why do 70 to 80% of my customers walk into my stores and they're not actually end up purchasing something? And so we can actually give them insights into what happened on those customer journeys that, that led to someone coming in, maybe browsing the product and then walking out again without making a purchase. Is that, I mean, it's interesting that, and um, I guess uh, grocers that may not apply quite so much. So is there a particular sector or sectors that is really your sweet spot? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. So we, we focus on speciality retail. So it yeah. might be, yeah, apparel, you know, sportswear, telco stores, furniture, um, home decor. So all of those other sectors other than grocery and convenience. Yeah, right. We also operate in like shopping malls and uh, uh, CRE locations. Uh, like transport hubs where lots of people will be coming in. They might be browsing like different vendors or different concessions, but perhaps at the end of the journey, not actually making a purchase or not making as many purchases or as large a purchase as the operator of the space would like. So we can really give them insights into why that's happening. It reminds me of a quote from um, Harry Selfridge, which uh, I use from time to time and um, a paraphrase of it. Basically, he said back in um, 1909, I think it was, that's how far we're going back when the store on Oxford Street first opened that, uh, if if they come and the, and they and the uh, guests, I think you reverse them. Yeah, don't purchase. Then that's okay, um, uh, because the the memory of the experience hopefully will be that next time they come along, they they purchase. So, so I wonder. I guess it's quite a uh, a challenge, perhaps a dichotomy that you want to get people into your store, you want them browsing, but yeah, you want to drive down that percentage who don't convert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Obviously, the first challenge is getting them in through the entrance. That's a huge win in itself when someone walks into your store. Um, so I definitely see the the angle um, that the that, that Hamza is coming from. Um, on, the, on the flip side, you know, once they've walked into your store, they've made a commitment to be there and they're usually incentivized to buy. Obviously, there are, there are lots of environments where people might be walking through. I'm thinking like duty-free at the airport, for example, a lot of people don't want to be there and they just want to get through that experience <laughs> to the I end know. of it. You know what, on that, I used to know somebody, she worked for 
British Airways ground staff at Gatwick. And she once yeah. told me about, uh, I think it was a North Terminal, if uh, people are familiar with that. Um, there is a shortcut, apparently. To- right. <laughs> Point <laughs> it out to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, I, I feel for the, the people who work there because you know, obviously there are no windows. They must be there at like six, maybe earlier in the morning and so forth. But even so, it, it's not a great experience. Yeah. But there's this huge opportunity, right? You've got all these people walking through. You've got all these customers coming into your store. And I think it's a natural instinct to think that, you know, every single one of those is a is a potential opportunity to make a purchase. And why would you walk into the store and not, then not go on to buy something? Something must have gone wrong on that journey. And I think a lot of retailers, I wouldn't say given up might be a strong word, but they're acceptant of the fact that, you know, conversions at 25 maybe 15% depending on the type of store and, and it is what it is and there's nothing they can do about it. But when we get into the into the throes of it and you start looking at the data, you, you immediately see that there are, there are key opportunities that are just not being addressed here. And I think a lot of it comes back to the fear of missing out and, and staying ahead of your competitors. You know, if everyone takes that kind of complacent approach that you know, yeah, eight percent of customers come in, and they're not going to—they're not going to buy anything. And we'll leave it at that. That eventually is going to run into into trouble. And so, always staying ahead of that, and always trying to to innovate and improve—that's the the kind of the winning formula that, that successful retailers are, are taking now. So let's just just um, explore that a bit further because I think that that's fascinating. You know, trying because it's something that will be forefront in every retailer's uh, minds, and you know, just trying to drive conversion. So, and, and you talked about it a little bit there, but what do you see as the main things that they need to focus on to increase their conversion rates? I mean, for example, is it uh, training their store staff differently? Is it giving their store associates the right tools to have the product knowledge? You know, these sorts of things that we hear about um, uh, constantly. Yeah, no, it's, that's a super question. I'm, I'm glad you answered it. I'm kind of happy to give away a little bit of the, the crown jewels here, in a sense, <laughs> with the answer. So the, there's two big things, there's two big drivers that we see. The first is impressions with products. It sounds really obvious, but every time a customer goes up to a product or a display unit, that's a chance for them to pick that product off the shelf and make a decision to buy it. So the more of those interactions that you can incentivize motivate along that journey the more chances there are for customers to go and make a purchase if you think about like a customer entering the store if they enter the store once if there's one chance to make a purchase even if the same customer leaves comes back again that's another opportunity so once they're in there you just want to increase all of those opportunities they have with all of the different products so we're seeing a lot of um a lot of retailers move to like snake formats, a little bit like uh, the traditional like, IKEA format where you've, you've got to navigate every single product along the way. But a lot of retailers are moving towards that because they see that, um, yeah, just increasing those interactions is actually, it improves the customer experience and gives them the full range of products rather than hiding things away in, in dark corners that are just not, not navigated and not used. The other one is, is, is staffing. And it's, it's about improving that customer experience from the staff's perspective, which ultimately will, will help customers to convert. And that's all about that operational efficiency of doing more with, with what you've got and being smarter about how and where you're allocating staff in order to meet customer demand. And ultimately, that makes the experience for staff better because they're not 
overworked or underworked during quiet times and and that makes a more consistent experience for for customers and that that really leads to an increase in conversion rates because people are just enjoying the experience they can get the service that they're expecting more consistently yeah i recall a story not so long ago of um uh, a fellow um uh, shadow of a rethink retail so a fellow rethink retail influencer um and he said that he walked into i won't name the brand uh, but it's a, a well-known apparel, uh, sort of mid-market, if you like, and found a shirt that he, he liked. Um, couldn't find anybody, uh, you know, to take his money, if, if you like. You know, I think, or I think he might have been actually looking for some, just some help on on something or other, and then I think ended up walking out. Yep. Uh, and it, it's always strikes me um, because I guess what you're referring to there is what I know as uh, workforce management. Yes. optimizing your store levels and so on and so forth. And it always makes me smile because we know that um, at Christmas, retailers just throw people at it. Uh, and, and you think, you know, well, if you could optimize your staffing levels and, as you say, have the right people in the right places in the store um, at the right time, then you're going to increase. Uh, okay. And, again, we, we know, I guess, how most retail models work, and it's on a – on a cost and transaction basis, as opposed to experience and sales conversion and so forth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of retailers take take the think thought that you know they, they've solved staffing, like that's a solved problem. Like they know how to, to staff and allocate. They've been doing this for you know 30, 50 years without any hitches. But as soon as they start seeing the data, and we're like, look, did you know that this till was significantly busier you know 4 p.m on saturday when they might have thought peak time was one or two based on transactions but actually queues building up and and actually they're just not getting as many transactions because traditionally they haven't staffed as much on the tills then you start seeing all these little gaps and you could conversely you're telling them you know tuesday morning there's no one around why do you need five people on tills at that time mm-hmm. and and you start getting these little wins and you start seeing these little improvements when you scale that across a thousand locations for you know a large a large retailer like that, those gains become very very significant very quickly, and um, yeah. and that's something that we see time and time again. Um, it's just just nudging towards the right direction, and there's big wins that you can get at the end of that. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, turn now to um, the uh, sometimes well, not exactly contentious, but we know that people are a little bit uh, apprehensive, and that's um, uh, facial recognition. Uh, and um, well, CCTV, you know, which has been around for decades, we know that. But it seems that it's, it's you know hitting the the uh, the news again, and people worrying about Big Brother and so on and so forth. It'd be interested in your views on that. Yeah, I have I have a lot of views on this. Um, I have a PhD in in uh, forensic investigation uh, with computer vision, and that's that's a lot of where we we built the business from. So just to to caveat what I'm about to say, um, Auravision is a video analytics solution, but we adhere to GDPR, and basically because we don't store any personal data, so all of the analysis and analytics are anonymous. Um, facial recognition is slightly different. Now, GDPR is probably one of the most important regulations that the EU ever decided upon. I mean, it affects everything in our daily lives. Every cookie that we see on a website um every every t's and c that we sign up to is somehow affected by by uh, privacy regulation and gdpr and so when we're talking about facial recognition 
the, the word recognition implies that you're identifying someone. And so in order to identify someone, you need to store some data on them uh, and then use that information to then re-recognize them, re-identify them at a later stage. So facial recognition is all about basically storing biometric information from people's faces so you can f identify them at a later date. And that's not actually what we do at Eurovision at all. But it's an interesting technology because it's there are lots of vendors that do this, especially in the States and in China where privacy regulation is, is, is a little bit different to what it is in, in Europe and, and the UK. Um, and obviously there have been some really high profile cases uh, where in the UK where people have been uh, implementing video analytics solutions that have been capturing kind of uh, demographic information from people's faces, not necessarily in order to identify them, but this has caused a little bit of a hoo-ha, and really it's where where you're drawing the line against something like GDPR in terms of, you know, is that going that step beyond, or you're actually storing personal data on someone, or is it before that where you're just doing a bit of analysis to aggregate some anonymous information about your customers. And so that's really, there's a clear line that's been drawn by, by, by regulations like GDPR um, to decide upon that, essentially. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating um, topic. Um, we've got, because as you know, uh, on the Retail Maverick show, we limited to 15 minutes. So we've got about a minute and a half. And what I wanted to, to ask you in that time is um, just, I guess it's kind of because presumably that is powered, much of it powered by AI. So I want to get your thoughts and your views on AI in retail, which we know is um, a hot topic, particularly with generative uh, AI, but maybe that's another another episode altogether. But um, AI in retail, you've got just over a minute, go. Here we go. So AI in retail, AI is really just a, another name for the latest and greatest technologies that are being implemented. So I think really what this all comes back to is uh, retailers' ability to adapt to new technologies and to stay ahead of the curve. Now, there's a lot, I think, with, with physical retail, um, the in-store experience where AI is really going to impact is automating customers' experiences uh, to create more personalised and engaging experiences. So that thing we were mentioning earlier about snake design of stores and you know, seeing loads and loads of products on your journey, I think that might actually feel a little bit antiquated in a few years because with AI, you know, it's going to be bringing personalized recommendations to the fore. You're not going to need to browse all the products because it's going to be the number one product for you and you're going to be able to experience it in a way that you've, you haven't even imagined yet. You know, if you're going to buy sports gear, you can get onto the mountains and be on the mountain wearing those boots that you're looking mm -hmm. to buy. And I think that's really where, where AI is going. And really what it comes back to is, is how do retailers implement that? How do they use that to stay ahead of the trends and not become complacent and actually stay ahead of their competition? And that's really yeah. going to be the key deciding factor. And that is absolutely spot on. <laughs> so that was brilliant. Daniel, yeah, I know it's whiz by, but we covered quite a bit. Um, thank you so much for being on the Retail Maverick show. Thank you so much, Andrew, for the very insightful questions. It was an absolute pleasure to be chatting with you today. Thank you.